Hello there. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. I'm your host, Deck. I'm joined by Key and Claudia with a K. On today's episode, we wanted to talk about Batman, Mask of the Phantasm. Let's see it, sure. So, guys, this was one of my picks of, I suppose, is it the best Batman film ever made? Is it the best version of the Cape Crusader put to the big screen? And before you wonder, yes, it did get a, you know, cinema release back in the day. But it is highly regarded as one of the best Batman films of all time. Um, And, of course, it's animated as well with a stellar cast to boot. So, guys, tell me a little bit about the story. Key, do you want to go first? Well, when you make your brand being an imposing figure that has a cape lurks in the shadows and intimidates criminals it's not that hard for someone to be mistaken for the batman and when that person being mistaken for the batman starts offering criminals like collecting loyalty stamps for a cafe it leads to a bit of problems and in the public eye our cape crusader becomes the murder case evader in this film we have Batman face his greatest foe to ever uh, come up against. It's not Gotham PD. It's not organized crime. It's not even the Joker. It's that one insurmountable hurdle for the Batman. Commitment to a relationship. Uh. (laughs) I broke one of my co-hosts with that remark. Three minutes in and she's already broken. Tears in her eyes. And while facing these odds as the Batman, on the Bruce Wayne side of things, we also face some new challenges. Bruce Wayne has been known to use girlfriends usually as part of his camouflage for his character. But when an old girlfriend comes into town, one that he actually had a meaningful connection with uh, all started by mutual trauma of dead parents or singular we now have a film where Batman and Bruce Wayne are facing challenges that are putting them in a situation that he's not quite used to he's been doing Batman for quite a while he's used to fighting regular crime but now he's got a serial murderer to try and track down while the public is against him and he's also being split between this element of his past that at one point almost made him turn away from his path of vengeance and it's how these different sides of the man are uh, challenged throughout the film and how we will solve this mystery and will he ultimately prevail or what toll will this all take on him? Claudia, would you like to expand? Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid I won't be able to top um, such an elaborate description. But in the typical fashion, I'm, I'm going to give a, a little bit of a, a rundown um, of the story. Just, you know, 
focusing more on the on the details. Um, don't worry, guys, it's only four pages. I'm sure you will you'll survive it. But first, uh, when we see the movie, we see a crime lord, Chucky Saul, and his minions meeting in one night somewhere in Gotham City. And as I imagine these meetings normally go, um, the group goes through kind of ins and outs of money laundering because, you know, even in crime, we need standard operating procedures, you know. But anyway, business meeting is interrupted by one and only Batman. Minions are taken out and Saul escapes. His victory, however, is very short-lived because when he gets to Le Garage, he encounters uh, a strange figure with a catchy marketing phrase, your angel of death awaits. Then Phantasm, because this is who I was referring to by saying mysterious or strange figure. Basically, he pretends to be a road cone, causes Saul to drive into a window and fall to his death. And where is Mr. Bash when you need him, you would wonder. Don't worry, he does show up eventually at the scene and is blamed for what has happened. Next morning, you have the whole havoc of everyone hating Batman and has to go and get him and hang him attitude, except for one person, I think, maybe a few, I can't remember. Um, Again, famous Alfred and Bruce are watching the conference from the Bat Cave, sipping on Bat Bourbon and munching on Bat Popcorn. Just kidding. Um, what? Um, anyway, Batman kind of seems to be a little bit uninterested about the kind of details of the conference at first glance. Um, he's more kind of interested in, you know, examining the, the chemical he found on Saul's car, for example. Then we get introduced to another character who is essentially subject of the rest of the movie, uh, at least for Bruce. So we are talking about Andrea Baumont. So again, the biggest fear of Batman's life, commitment. Uh, Bruce has some heart-to-heart with his uh, dead parents' painting, and we see series of kind of flashbacks exploring how he met Andrea in the graveyard while both uh, visited dead relatives. I mean... It's a way to pick up women, you know. Mm. During, However, during the series of the flashbacks, um, we see not-so-glamorous beginning of Batman, you know, kind of trashy costume, no fighting style, and a lot of wounds that poor Alfred must attend to. Um, however, moving away from the flashbacks um, a little bit, um, again, as the kind of story continues on, uh, we are introduced to yet another crime, crime lord, uh, Boz Bronski, uh, visiting Chucky's grave. You know, Phantasm shows up again with, you know, the, the another catching phrase or the same catching phrase, I should say. Um, again, as you would imagine, same thing happens. Batman gets blamed for it um, again. And then finally, we meet... Another elderly crime boss, because he's not fancy enough to be called Lord. Uh, But his name is Salvatore Valestra. 
um, essentially he reads about Bronski's uh, walk into the sunset and Batman's involvement. And bless the poor old man, he gets a panic attack. Um, after a series of events with Batman um, and kind of few other characters, which I will not get into, a desperate Valestra goes to abandon the World's Fair, which we see in Bruce's flashbacks. And that now kind of functions as a hideout for Joker. So Valestra tells Joker that Batman is uh, is is on the hunt for to get all of the old bodies, but Joker kind of remains unint- uninterested and unimpressed, and actually he does not want to uh, be the hitman in this case. Um, now, after a while, Phantasm does come for Valestra, only to discover that Joker already had some fun with him. Joker observes the events, uh, clears Batman's name in his head, but still kind of gets a bit of a a boom-boom, you know, going, uh, nearly killing Phantasm. Uh, Now, Batman at that stage confronts Phantasm on the roof, but don't forget that at this stage, everyone in the Gotham City thinks that Batman is is the guilty one. So Batman essentially at that stage is met by a police helicopter while phantasm escapes now this before i get scrutinized by my co-host um i'm going to stop here because obviously i'm already spoiling so much i i don't want to ruin it all for you i'm sure you kind of get the gist of the story um again yes we have the the classic bashman and what kind of everyone loves him for but there is a an, another story that is explored um, in it. I'm going to leave it at that. Cool. Perfect. Thank you. So we shall move on to what we liked about the film. So I'll go first. And with this, this is, I suppose, easy to tell. But this is the Batman I grew up with in the sense that, you know, the animated show was always on TV um, and the film was always a bonus, you know, whenever you come across it, whenever you think about it, you knew it wasn't just an extended episode of the show. It was a full fledged dive into the character of Bruce Wayne and Batman um, as one really pick them apart and actually, you know, I suppose, show the inside of the bat um, that's inside him, I guess. At a runtime of 76 minutes, I think this film moves along perfectly paced. It isn't too fast paced. It doesn't drag anywhere. It knows it's got to keep the action going. And it does allow those moments to just go, okay, take a deep breath and we'll move on to the next set piece. And I do love it for that, um, that it is so brisk in its runtime. It doesn't overstay its welcome at any stage. Further to that, the animation I think is crisp. It is aged so well where I look at modern animated films these days and I'm like, yeah, don't get me wrong. They're pretty and, you know, there's good art style and there's a good vibrancy to them. I can't help but look at this film and just go, wow, you know, just wow. It is just striking. It is a bit more simple, yes. But just in the framing with its animation, it's outstanding. There's a shot in particular when he puts on the cowl for the first time and it's just that framing of him looking into the mask 
just with his head ever so tilted. But just the colours it that, it's like these dark navies and he's silhouetted in all black and just this dark navy behind them. Perfect. Just that one shot alone is just, there you go. That's that's Batman, really. The soundtrack. You know, Shirley Walker um, did the soundtrack for the animated series. And of course, the animated series has a fantastic intro, which was using the Tim Burton, Danny Elfman score um, from the Tim Burton's uh, first two films. And don't get me wrong, I love that intro. It's a great intro into the, the TV show. But there was always this hint of a melody throughout the animated series that this was Batman's team that she composed herself. And using that in the, the intro of this film, as we get this beautiful, I suppose, crane-like, plane-like shot even of Gotham City with this bombastic orchestra playing this. Um, yeah, it's the perfect way to seep yourself right into into this world. And... Saying that with the world of Gotham, this kind of 1930s World's Fair with a bit of a future element on top of it, I think just suits Batman so well. You know, everyone's going around in their long coats and top hats. The women are very elegantly dressed. But there's computers, you know, around. It's that perfect mix of different worlds together. Um, And I think aesthetically it's perfect. Do you know what that aesthetic reminds me of? Uh, remember like old pictures or videos of how people used to dress up to take a flight? You know, you had like the best clothes being put uh, because it was such a kind of a big event. So I think there's a lot of dash in, in, in the Mask of Phantasm from that perspective, that style that you're talking about. Mm. No, for sure, for sure. And I, I think it just looks perfect. Um, it sets the tone so quickly that if this is your introduction into, I suppose, that animated series, then it's it's a perfect way to introduce you to it. Um, yeah, with the soundtrack, it is perfect. It is so just involves everything. It doesn't need to like fill in every little bit. It doesn't need to overuse the team too much or anything like that. It just it's used very, very well. And the story, I think, is a very well-told story. It's a very human aspect of Bruce Wayne. I mean, when you think about it, the whole point of the film, let alone the whole crime side element, is him coming to terms with that he only wanted another person that he could be happy with. And he can't have that because of the trauma that he has. You know, um, he he can never fully get to that acceptance. And I think that's just a brilliant way way to get across with Bruce Wayne. Um, Where I look at Michael Keaton, I look at Val Kilmer, I look at George Clooney, I look at Christian Bale, Ben Affleck, even now Robert Patterson. Where I'm like, the Bruce Wayne element of it is always there. It's that, you know, billionaire, but you either get that, like, moody sense or the kind of, I've had loss and this is why I do it. I think this film, in such a short space, just the film, let alone the animated show itself, just the film strips Bruce Wayne down so much. Where it's just, that's him. That's the man you're looking at. Um, He's a human at the end of the day. And he's going through this 
horrible, horrible trauma. And I think it reflects it so well in a kid's film. Um, and with that story, I think you do need some of the best actors to get that story across perfectly. And, I mean, the cast itself is full of very recognisable names. A lot of gangster character actors, I guess, um, are playing the mob bosses. And then you've got Mark Hamill coming back as the Joker, which, amazing. I mean, you know, still up there with one of my favourite Jokers. But the icing on the cake um, is Kevin Conroy as Bruce Wayne and Batman. How he's able to get every emotion across in the character. Every sentence of fear in the character. His presence with a voice complements the character so well that I I think you take his voice out of it. Any other voice actor could have done a very good job. But him in it elevates this film to another level. Considering that the animated series are early 90s, if I remember correctly. So since early 90s, have we had a better Batman voice? Personally, no. What do you think, Key? Um, I think in terms of them, yeah, it... It's weird thing, like there's definitely a nostalgia factor does improve Kevin Conroy, but it also is undeniable that he had great talent, and he also like to be kind to him, he did have great scripts and great voice cast around him, so he really did have a good opportunity to explore the human sides of the character, and that was something Kevin Conroy brought into the role. That whether he's playing Bruce or whether he's playing Batman, he's keeping this human element in his mind and doing it. I don't. Other actors, um, they haven't had as much time to develop that, but still, I think overall he is the best. But we have had some decent performances. Mm. Um, I do believe in the animated movie, uh, the name escapes me. I think he's an Irish actor. He's been the voice of Batman and he has done quite well. And he has had some moments of bringing more human emotion into those films. And he has done that quite well. But it is a massive pair of shoes for him to fill stepping into the animated Batman role after the legacy that is Kevin Conroy. And that guy did actually play Batman before Kevin Conroy had passed. And that was a discussion people had, but the rest of him, I think he did a good job. So I take Kevin Conroy still did probably best of all. We've had some good things and unfortunately rest in peace for Kevin Conroy. We might get someone again, but... Um, they really have to understand injecting that human aspect into Um So yeah, I mean, obviously, look, the voice acting is top-notch in this film. And one scene in particular, I think, just pushes the point further is Bruce Wayne's at his parents' grave. And he's basically, like, asking them a question. He's mourning to them. And just the voice acting, the script writing, everything just meshing in so well to the point where I think like, yeah, I mean, we've had good versions of the character on, you know, in live action. Whether it's the director or the writer, and I adore Christopher Nolan's version, I don't think we've ever found that perfect balance of the weakness of the man inside of, of it all, you know? 
And then the actual fear of it all, that he's the one jumping out the windows and, you know, trying to save the day, preventing a bomb from being going going off and things like that. I think that's the... I think Kevin Conroy was lucky in that sense. We had that perfect chance to be able to do both versions of the character. And, you know, he obviously was grateful for that and elevated it to, I suppose, a pitch of no other like you know so yeah um but claudia any likes from yourself i suppose too really and it's it's kind of nothing groundbreaking and i'm fairly sure you already covered it yourself but yeah for me definitely the the simplicity of a story in a way i like the the fact that i don't know what what way to describe it but batman seems the most human in Mask of Phantasm. And I suppose, obviously, the, the whole love life aspect of it. Um, when I was doing a little bit of a research, um, that was actually one thing that was called out that it's not the phantasm as such. That was the, you know, or the great villain. That was the point of the movie. It was actually, um, it was actually that kind of simplicity um, and the love life and early kind of life of Bruce Wayne as Batman being the point of the movie, which obviously now looking at other adaptations that have been done since is almost like a, a kind of a different version of Batman um, or kind of different meaning to the character that is being given in that so I, I actually found that quite uh, quite interesting. Um, the other aspect is obviously what you touched on, uh, Deck already, which is the animation. What I'm going to say to it, and I don't mean anything negative by it before you get the wrong idea. The best way I can sum up the animation is the fact that it's very of its time. Is it innovative for 1993? Possibly. I would even say yes. Has it aged well? Definitely. But would it have the same impact on the viewer now? Possibly not. And that is simply because we're too spoiled for choice at this stage. I, for example, personally like the simplicity of Western animation of of the time. But I'm also nerdy, so I looked into the kind of the ins and outs of how the animation was draw- drawn and, you know, what what was so different of this particular animation compared to anything else that would have been done before. So I think, again, Deck, you brought it up uh, while we were watching it that this one was drawn on, on black paper. I'm sure there might have been other, you know, animations before that did it, but it's to me, it seems that Batman really pushed that as as their aesthetic, which then they continued with the animated series as well. So that is, again, me being a little bit nerdy from that perspective and liking particular aesthetic to animation. I'm all for that. Key, how about yourself? Uh, yep, yeah, I've got a few points I liked about this movie. And... By not coincidence, quite a few of them I will be kind of uh, mirroring my co-host's points because there are some things in this movie just stand out to you so much and that you can enjoy. And yeah, one of the first one is that yeah, Deck mentioned Shirley Walker worked on the music and score for this film. And 
I think that start with the orchestral music at the intro is kind of, it's just perfect. I think it's setting up the tone. It's drawing you in. It's building up this world before you even have characters on screen. And even as they are on screen, it's building it up, drawing you in. It's not overplayed. It is telling story and it sets your tone automatically working well together and it's one of those things that when you see and hear it it hits for you and I think watching the start of the movie from the start I could immediately tell oh this is tackling things a bit differently to what I'm used to and I'm on board with this and I am intrigued to see more Uh, even more a bit on the intro I think it is quite cool because we also see it seems he moves into Batman in action, I think fighting crime, because we're not going to do any dialogue or stuff, otherwise there isn't anything else that people explain things. It's, he's a man of action. He lives in this crime-fighting world. It is his world. And even the intro of the Phantasm character, it's very impactful. And given this is a character that's brand new, this isn't off a TV show, this is the first time we're seeing them, that there is impact, I was actually quite impressed with that. There's a lot of presence immediately apparent while watching it. And thought, like, these things all together from the get-go of a movie, I was like, okay, I'm in for something good here. And they covered the voice acting, and one new addition to the cast I'll cover is uh, Dana Delaney as Andrea. I think she is a really good casting for this as she plays off so well against Kevin Conroy's Bruce Wayne in this. She has strength of character. She can stand up to Bruce. She can spar with Bruce, both verbally and physically, as we learn in one scene. And not to dive too deep, but like Andrea, she did get to know Bruce quite well. They knew each other's uh, past quite well, and the chips they had in their shoulders. And... There's one dialogue between them, which is Bruce says to Andrea, what will vengeance solve? And right back at them, she says, if anyone knows the answer to that, it's you, Bruce. And the delivery of that line, it just works. And that's when you can tell casting is spot on. And then speaking of Bruce, obviously Kevin Conroy, he's always fantastic in this role he always brings this human element to it he when he's angry you feel anger when he's sorrowful you feel sorrowful when he's confused you can feel the confusion in despair you feel the despair um i won't go over it too much but obviously he is such a strong point in this movie i will briefly say mark hamlin's here is the joker um i find it so weird to be breezing over the point of mark hamlin's the joker because like He's the Joker, Mark Hamill, it's good. <laughs> yeah, what else are you going to get with him? Like, I mean, he shows up, does his bit, and walks away. Perfect, like. And, yeah, the aesthetic as well. Uh, watching this film again, and I think, I love the aesthetic. I love how it's dark and it is hand-drawn because it all has so much character. And it fits thematically, enhances, I think, the storytelling in a subtle way. And 
I think, yeah, Claudia said maybe it might age as well against some modern things, but the fact I found is there's character here and you can sense that. I did really like that about it all. And now, so covering those, I think just touch off a few points along the story, things I liked about it. So we have actually a really good setup here to misdirect the blame to Batman because up until this point in the world, he's the only famous shadowy figure that these villains know about. And it's very good that you bring in a foil for him and it makes sense in the world. It doesn't feel forced. It feels natural and it pushes on narrative. I think that's a really good multi-purpose way of setting up that opening scene and what it rolls into. We also deal with the internal conflict that Bruce has of weighing his sense for vengeance with his longing for love. And this is something that story I think it does it quite well and like it is believable as well. And it's nice to kind of get that balance going throughout the film. Any dislikes about the film? Um I'm a quick one on this. I my only dislike is probably a positive. I actually wish it was longer. Um, I wish, you know, give me another half an hour, 40 minutes of this. I'm like, yeah, I mean, I could watch this in the show all day. No problem. Did it as a kid. Can do it as an adult. No problem there. Um, but yeah, I don't think there's any... I think the way the story's handled is very strong. I don't think the reveal of the phantasm is weak or anything like that. I think it's actually well-earned. Um, yeah, so, Key, any dislikes from yourself? Um, I do have one, I don't know if it would be classified as a nitpick more than a dislike, but a little bit from my side and a little bit, I think, maybe for possibly outsiders. Yeah, is it, this is a 76-minute runtime, and I kind of would have liked maybe an extra 5 to 10 minutes for actually a montage of Bruce and Andrea's relationship to build it a bit more. I think uh, for some people less familiar with Batman and his difficulty finding a love interest and how Andrea and him fell in love before they had the ability to empathize on the vengeance angle. I think from the outside it might seem a bit quick because you mightn't realize how in a little way each of them are desperate to find someone they can empathize with and I think just a little bit more time on the relationship on Dash. I wouldn't have minded adding a bit more runtime for that to give it a bit more uh, steps along the way. Cause, and to sum it up, there's a line, everything is happening so fast. And it's like, you're damn right, Bruce. Uh, Claudio, is there any negatives you have for the film? Right. Where do I begin? So oh, let, no. me, let me count my pages. No, I'm only messing. Um, Oh God, where where do I begin? Okay, um, to kind of contradict your points, Deck and Key, because you said that you wished it was longer. What I'm beginning to question is why this movie was made at all. Considering, and stick with me on that, considering it is quite short, why hasn't this plot been explored in the animated series why did it have to be made into a movie because when you think about it to me at a first glance 
it looks exactly like the animated series. It's just longer and it's suitable for big screen. I also read up that it supposedly flopped at the off uh, box office and it actually was appreciated more later when it became um, elevable at kind of home media. So that's what I'm trying to understand. Why was this movie made at all? In part, uh, let's say, for writing freedom. If you put this into the show, you have to kind of be constrained upon the canon of the show at the time. So by making a self-contained story in a film, the writer has the freedom to really tell just this story and not have to worry about any excess play figures to be doing in it. Now, and I think... They probably could have gotten funding from the studio to make this film as a thing that they might have had seen some promise in and something they could handle. And it was just a case of this was the best way to tell this story without more strings attached. But Deck, if there's anything else? So, yeah, in a way, yeah, because they basically decided to make... Warner Brothers came around and they said they wanted to make a film um, from the animated series in between its like first and its second year. The thing is, they were hired to make the film for a direct-to-video, as in it wasn't going to get a cinema release. And they only had eight months to make it. And then out of absolutely nowhere, they were told, yeah, this is getting a cinema release. And it was released in December of 1993. And look, let's be honest, that's how quick it flopped. It It didn't have any push marketing it was basically oh that's an extended episode of the show up in the big screen that's how it was basically ah oh, whatever um so it's that perfect where it's probably like the least successful batman film financially but it's probably the highest rated by critics and fans as a film um but yeah it was just rushed out the door warner Bros. obviously shot themselves on the foot to the point where the show after the film started winning emmys <laughs> Left, right, and center. So I do think if they actually had properly sat down and allowed the film to breed, then it probably would have been a lot more successful. You have to remember as well, it would have come out just after the two Tim Burton ones. That was obviously a cartoon. Animation, films and cartoon. you got to remember Pixar hadn't arrived on the scene. Disney peak moment was Beauty and the Beast and all of that, so... Okay, before more arguments are being brought to the table, Key, to your point, um, that obviously how the animated series was made at the time, that the movie kind of um, allowed them to have that overarching story within, you know, confined an hour and whatever minutes it is. But you could kind of keep the whole animated series aspect of it and maybe introduce I don't know the overarching theme of the season or something like that and then each episode would perhaps allow to drill in more into maybe the kind of the development of love between uh, Andrea and Bruce for example Um, you're saying actually about an overarching theme on a season uh, one example you use is the big bad I think coined initially by Joss Whedon's Buffy was it that actually came later I believe yeah. so, so it wasn't even in the minds of writers at the time yeah TV wasn't doing the, the overarching season like the the animated show was nearly each episode's a 
Well, it's yeah. a monster of the week. Yeah. Two There's to three two, part at most. Yeah, and even at that, they're usually saved for like a Two-Face origin or a Robin origin. You know, they're never a beak, a small villain like. You get Man-Bat in the first episode, you know. So basically, what you're saying is that at the time, the only way to explore Batman's backstory was in a film format like it was done now. Well, in a way, yeah, because the animated show never did an origin. It, we just picked up he was Batman. Like, the, you know, Dick Grayson Robin was around, but he was in college, so that's why he didn't show up every episode. They gave an episode, they gave Robin his backstory, and the two episodes won Emmys. First Emmy of those shows kind at the time. So if anything, the show was groundbreaking for what it actually did. Um, what's the what's the reason for the Emmys? What tell me? What why did it got Emmys? Because it opened the door for other writers and animators to go. Hey, this is actually possible to do. You know, got to remember at this time there was no like the other medium of Batman was the '60s show, the Tim Burton version, and whatever short serials were being made in what the '30s and '40s. So, like, we, like, as an on-screen moving figure, he basically introduced an entire generation to the character that either liked or didn't like the Tim Burton one. You gotta think, people growing up might not have been an age where they could have watched the Tim Burton one. So they were automatically, oh, sure, that's a cartoon, off you go. But the cartoon was dealing with a lot of adult teams... Um, let alone the whole cartoony, oh, I'm Batman, you know? I'm going to make extremely risky move and I'm going to tell you my second dislike. Um, okay, how do, I, how do I even tackle this? So, I know both of you grew up watching this, obsessing over this. This, this was your show. It wasn't for me. I I was over I was always obsessing over the Spider-Man the animated series and I did just did a quick google on it uh, it actually came out in 94 because I wanted to bring an argument of like hang on a while was Batman first so how about the Spider-Man animated series so okay I grew up on Spider-Man now as an adult I was trying to understand or justify as to why I didn't get into Batman and as I was reading up about this movie, I can't remember where it was, um, but I came across a, a statement uh, made by somebody online that the psychological aspects explored in Batman, the movie or the animated series, are too dull for children to enjoy. And are too shallow for adults to buy into. Now that's potentially my justification as to why I didn't get into it. And I know I'm throwing um, a little bit of a a grenade here in the middle of the room. So I'm going to let you digest it first. And then you can respond. Uh, I think I'll start off with this one. The thing about Batman, they're saying that it might be too, yeah, say, dark for kids to hop onto and then 
too simplistic for adults to go on to Batman I do kind of see as trauma and resilience incarnate and the fact is narratively he pushes that aspect forward and you are going to go past a realm of believability at a point now for kids as well usually when you're younger um, you won't quite understand some darker emotions they do take time to develop in kids so happiness and joyfulness come first as you're a child so in that case quite a few things can go over your head in that case it will be the batman cool will be the point that they'll latch on to first for adults some people when they're seeing it they might be like why didn't he just move on and part of the thing of batman is it's this exploration of but what if he didn't move on and it is does that story and it explores it in so many ways and as we cover it kevin conroy does bring a bit more of a human aspect into the character as well which bronze it out a bit more but at its core batman isn't really necessarily a believable story but i think he pushes the boundaries and it's what or we'd say i think it can just be entertaining to watch and the fact is if he wasn't doing it i don't know who else steps into that massive pop culture icon showing this side of storytelling and yeah so people could argue Oh, it's too simplistic in some ways, but as I would argue, well, who else can do that simple story but do it entertainingly? If you take that away, if you take away that talking point, that example, that cornerstone for some people growing up in terms of the different characters they saw portrayed, different emotions and human aspects, what happens with that void? And that gets into a massive case of if maybe he's changing timelines, all that stuff, and... I think it's a bit too reductive of Batman to say like parts of this are just too unbelievable and the fact is yeah but he does it quite well and you're just getting into a never ending loop of if maybes and buts. Uh, For me (laughs) (laughs) you're still stunned by that statement. A little bit. Uh, um, I'm just going to strip it down bit by bit. I always consider Batman, Spider-Man, X-Men as the three that I obviously grew up on where, you know, each of them have their own separate teams and what I suppose I was pushed on. Spider-Man is obviously the cool, you know, kitty feel to it, but there's always a great heart and a responsibility about his story. There's always a, you know, woohoo kind of a feeling. Um, and even in that, when his story gets a little bit darker you get that little bit more of an edge to the character, which always, you know, it's cool. And the animated show did it. The movies are doing it, obviously. That obviously works. The X-Men is a great kind of story about acceptance. Um, You know, accepting different people and culture and things like that. And, you know, when X-Men were written, you have this, you know, what, 60s, early 70s, uh, the way the world was, is trying to accept different nationalities, different people with different views and things like that. And I think X-Men's a, a, a brilliant, you know, out there version of all of that. Um, and then when I look at Batman, I look at Batman as probably the most human of the superhero genre. 
well, yeah, he's a millionaire. He's a billionaire. Um, you take that aside and you strip it down. It's a kid that lost his parents at a young age. And you could look at the, how he deals with the trauma, how he views the trauma and all of that. Um, and what he wants to move forward as a person. And something I thought was actually quite a nice thing that I always kind of reference with Batman, well, Bruce Wayne version, I guess, is he's that perfect tragic hero. You know, it's somebody that like, hey, if you're down on your luck, if you're beaten down, look at the situation Batman was put into. Yes, he had all that money. Yes, he had all those gadgets. But he was motivated to kind of keep going and, you know... You have different elements of his story where, he, like, you could have a look at the kind of more kiddie aspect of it, um, where he's a grown man and tights fighting crime. But then you look at the more adult side of it, where each of his rogue gallery, I guess, um, is somebody that you could argue he's created, or it's nearly another mirror of himself. You know, that all of these crazies around there are because of him. Um, and each each of those villains have their own, you know... You look at Harvey Dent, a split personality. You know, you look at Joker, he's clinically insane. You know, you look at Penguin, a greedy mob boss. One of the greatest examples of don't quit. Yeah. And it's because he'll put it all on the line and discover one thing is he's suffered great trauma and one of his driving factors is he wants to do anything possibly within his power so that someone else doesn't have to go through that. He'll fight these villains so they don't have, so that children don't have to have their parents killed like his were. Yeah, you definitely bring a very interesting point. And look, I'm not trying to kind of back down now or anything like that. Um, as like I told you, as a kid, I didn't, for some reason, didn't get into Batman. It just wasn't my thing. And I suppose now in my adult years, I was trying to understand as to why. Obviously, I'm kind of venturing out to different things. So I said, why not give this one a go one more time? And similar thing happened to me where I didn't fully click with it. But nevertheless, I'm not trying to take away from the movie. And I think two of you brought very interesting points because, yes, it was aimed at kids. But like a lot of the movies or animated series of the time, they bring very simplistic life lessons that we then bring into our adult years that is just kind of presented to a kid in in such a way that it will be appealing. And look, kids, like adults, we all like different things. So like that, I was more into Spider-Man, into X-Men at times, but I just didn't fully click with Batman, you know? Mm -hmm. Whereas, for example, two of you, Batman was your thing and maybe you were watching Spider-Man and X-Men less. I don't know. Um, But yeah, just to kind of sum up, personally, the story, yeah, I get it. I fully understand it, but it wouldn't be my first choice. Nevertheless, I'm not going to take any. It doesn't take away from what it was trying to do at the time and what it means to audience to this day even being an adult or a child. 
So it's now time for our ratings. And I mean, we're a good few episodes in at this stage, so we're quite used to our ratings, but just a very, very quick rundown of what our ratings mean. So it's a treat here system. It is see it, maybe see it, and don't see it. Don't see it, bottom tier. We recommend you do not watch it. It just wasn't for us. And maybe see it, middle tier. We had a bit of fun with it. It was okay. It's all right. You know, could have been better, could have been worse. And then a see it. We think it's a must see it. It has to be seen. We wouldn't recommend it otherwise. We think, yeah, just watch it. So, ratings wise. um, Claudia, do you want to go first? I knew you were going to go with me first. Just want to get it out of the way. Okay. For its style, for what it was trying to do, and everything else that you're trying to convince me of during this episode, I'm going to say see it. That's your honest one? Okay, fair enough. Key? I don't think it's going to be a surprise for me calling it a see it, but I do say that also because I think it's undeniable some of the quality that's gone into producing this film. And that does make it something that even if you don't fully click with it, I think you can still appreciate it. And what it's done. And Dick? Uh, so for me, easy. It's a see it. Um, even though I do not think it is the best Batman film ever put to screen, I do think The Dark Knight as a whole, as a live action film, is stronger um, from start to finish. I do think Mask of the Phantasm is the best Bruce Wayne slash Batman story put to screen. In the sense that that's the most true version we'll ever get of the character on screen. And yeah, anyone ever asks me what's my favourite film, I'll always say The Dark Knight. But what's my favourite Batman film? It's Mask of the Phantasm. In the sense that I think that's just pure rich in his story. It just hits every beat. Where The Dark Knight is more of you don't have to be a Batman fan to watch The Dark Knight. You can still enjoy it. It's a perfect crime film um, in that side. But really, I suppose, perfect wrap-up for this episode. Actually, can I go uh, back to my ratings? Muter Mike. mic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, a perfect ending for this episode is whenever I read Batman, I hear Kevin Conroy's voice. Whenever I see Batman. I think of Kevin Conroy's voice. And I think this film is a perfect legacy tribute to what a marvellous work he's done as the character over the years. Whether you grew up with him as your voice of Batman or you didn't, he poured his heart and soul into the character. And I think this film is a perfect summary of that, of what he captures in just the voice of Bruce Wayne and Batman, is perfect. So, Kevin Conroy was my Batman and always will be my Batman. And I think that's a perfect way to end the episode. 